Learning about food styling is always fun. The tricks, the patience, the photo secrets all make for a peek into the workings of food porn as well as great Instagram moments. Christina Walter lets us peek behind the curtain on Tip of the Tongue. Welcome to Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Christina Walter. She is Girl Gone Grits, and she's a food stylist. She's a recipe developer. She does many more things, and uh, she's here with us. So welcome, Christina. Hi, thank you for having me. So I'm really looking forward to talking to you because I am actually fascinated by food styling. Um, I took one course in food styling that someone offered and I thought, I am never going to do this. (laughs) So tell me how you got into food styling. Well, it kind of rolled into it. Um, I've always been in food my whole life, whether it be running a bakery or owning my catering business. I've always had food around me and doing some kind of job with food. But it was in 2009, I took a job on a whim as a production um, assistant for a chef for an HGTV TLC um, production that was being, the series was being ran here in Austin. Mm -hmm. So you had three mavens, you had the carpenter, you had the decorator and you had the chef and I was the assistant to the chef. And I thought this would be really interesting to understand the backstory of television and food. And what I didn't realize is I was actually a food stylist. I just didn't have the name for it. So it was production assistant. And I got a really quick thrown into how to be a food stylist on set. And I loved it. It was so intriguing to me. And I quickly realized that I am the kind of person that does much better behind the camera than in front of the camera. Mm -hmm. And, and there definitely are two different people that can do that. Mm -hmm. And, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed getting all the shopping done, doing the prep, having to garnish everything and the detail of it. And I just thought the magic was there on TV and, and it was fun. So that was my first step into it. When I was doing one of the vignette commercials, they had me design a faux party for the commercial. And so I had to do all the party food. And the carpenter that worked on that set had a brand new camera. And so he went and started taking some of my pictures of my food. And I had never seen such gorgeous, beautiful photography. I was like, oh, this is crazy. That's what I want to be thinking I wanted to be a food photographer because I didn't realize that food photography and food styling are two different jobs. Ah. And so I quickly signed up for, you know, taking classes on food photography. And I realized that 
my heart really wasn't in the image making, but working with a photographer to create those images. And so I reached out to a local food photographer and asked if I could, you know, just follow her and shadow her through some jobs. And we worked on one job together. And I quickly realized that the photography in was, it was amazing. It was wonderful, but I didn't want to put all my passion into that. I was far more interested and passionate about the actual food. So we quickly realized that she needed a stylist and I wanted to work with a photographer. So we spent a good four years developing a portfolio together, working around town and working with different restaurants and packaging. And we got a great portfolio together. And that's when I just took off on my own business. Do you feel that people who hire the photographer understand that they also need a stylist or do they think the photographer works the magic alone? Many times, many times. And to be fair, there are a lot of photographers that are do really well at styling their own work. The difference with a commercial food stylist is the photographer works his magic telling the story with all the lighting and the structure of the image. But I have to create the actual story. And to do so, I have to work very closely with the stylist. And most clients that have never worked with a food stylist on set are absolutely surprised at how, how much of a difference it makes to have a professional stylist who knows what their um, job is and a photographer that knows what their job is who work together to create an amazing image. So tell me a little bit about what you do that makes it different from just cooking the food. In other words, you, you started to talk about your, your early story and your first foray into food styling, and you were working with the chef. So what did you do that was different than what the chef would do? Certainly. So chefs plate food for the consumer who's sitting down to eat it. So we want to see that visual. And a lot of people get confused that that visual is exactly the same as when you're taking photographs of the image. When you're taking photographs of the image, the camera becomes the person. So you need to elevate the plate in certain ways and glisten the plate so that light comes down and hits it and tells a story for the whole eye to look at. Because my job is to make you want to go out and either purchase that food do that recipe or challenge you in your culinary skills. And if a chef is taking a beautiful plate of food and bringing it to your table, it's just that one person that gets to see that beautiful table, but the camera sees it differently. And so whenever I work with chefs at restaurants, the first thing I do is try to explain to them that I am in no way going to try to change what you have just artistically placed on the VART. I'm only going to make what you did visible to the camera so that people can see it. And that consists of lifting things and that consists of maneuvering food certain places and getting that style because it's not just the person who's sitting down looking straight down on the plate. It's for the lens to see. Does well, that make I can, a little sense? No, that makes sense. But it's also true that you can't smell the food when you're looking at a photograph, which you can definitely if someone puts the plate in front of you. There Absolutely. are other limitations that you have to make the visual take the place of all of those other sensual experiences that you don't have in a photograph. 
Absolutely. I have to make a suggestion that it's hot. I have to allow your mind to see that it's cold and it's juicy and it's delicious. And most of the work that I do is all room temperature. Rarely is it ever hot. And if it is, it's only because we're trying to get a natural steam on it, but almost everything I work with and all the studio shots that I do, everything is room temperature or cold, but I played it and I play with it and I add things to it to create that, that feel, that iciness, that heat. And, and so is there a difference between what you do when you're putting together an image for a cookbook, for example, and when you're doing it for commercial purposes where you're inspiring somebody to go to that restaurant or buy this product at the grocery store or something like that? Um, so there are like three different types of styling for, so a blogger, for instance, a blogger will create a recipe, photograph the recipe and probably eat the recipe right after it's done. I will have to, whether it's for a cookbook or whether it's for any kind of commercial photography, I will need to buy copious amounts of items. I will have to have several stand-ins, several heroes ready to go to swap out. And then by the time I'm done manipulating the food and finishing it, you would not want to eat it. So what do you mean by heroes? Okay. So in, in our little world of photography, we have stand-ins and heroes. So when the photographer is setting up his studio for lighting and- Or she, right? Or she, absolutely. To be fair, I work mostly with females in this industry. And generally they will start setting up all the lighting and staging. And if you've hired a separate prop stylist, they will come in and they will start setting props up. When they set the props up, they're going to need to catch lighting and making sure everything is okay with the creative directors. And so in doing so, I need to put some sort of food in there in the place on top of the dishes or wherever it's being set, just so they can get the lighting correct Mm. and the shading. And that can be anything from a ball of paper that's the same color of that hamburger to just some buns and a hamburger just slopped together and thrown on that plate. And then once the photographer takes his time to get that's that's the stand in, right? That's the stand in. And then once the photographer gets everything set and ready to go, then they'll say, we're ready for the hero. And that's when I'll come in and I will swap out the plate or the actual item for where the stand in was and place the hero down into that. And, and that's so the hero mean. is the pretty one, the one that's beauty shot put together. Okay. Yeah. And so when I took that one course that I was telling you about, they talked about the difference between using sort of little tricks versus not being able to use the tricks on the actual item that's being um, sold. So you could, you could make fake something as a prop to be part of the scene, but you couldn't use anything fake that you were actually trying to, to promote. That's the rules of advertising. And it goes all the way back to, I believe the sixties with the Campbell soup law. 
And what that basically means is if I'm doing a cover packaging for granola cereal, I can fake the milk Uh and use glue and put it on the spoon. And I'm saying this because I've done this many a times. (laughs) And then you're talking about white glue, like white glue, glue, because because the granola pieces and everything will fit carefully either on the, in the bowl or on the spoon, depending on what the shot is. And, but I have to use their product. Now, if it was a milk company, I would need to use their product milk, and then I can fake something else. But if it's the, the client's product, the rule of thumb is to always use their product. If it's something that they don't actually produce, you can fake that to manipulate it and make it work for you. So have you learned all of this sort of fake tricks or the, the things like that just on the job? Or have you learn them through learning from someone else or reading books or how, how do you come by that? I'm sure some you've invented yourself. Yeah. I come from the old school where I just self-teach myself and I spend hours and hours and hours of research. And one of the things that I started doing when I was building my kit, because I have a three-story kit that I take to my sets and it's basically, I have to recreate a kitchen if they don't have one. So I have to have everything available. And in the early days, when I first had just a small tackle box, I would go to a shoot. And then I would realize at the end of the shoot, when I drive home, this is what I'd tell myself, how did the shoot go today? What could I have had in my kit that would have made this job easier? And then I would go out the next day and purchase it and put it in my kit. And so that was how I build my kit. As far as learning everything, I do learn a lot of stuff on on set um, as I go. But if a new job comes in and I haven't done that particular type of styling, I will research it. I will self-teach it. And let me tell you, you can find anything on YouTube these days. And, and I will practice and practice and practice until I can figure out the confidence that I need to walk in and, and, and finish it on the set. So give us an idea, Chris. One of the things you talked about was the glue instead of milk, which I think is a great, a great idea. Um, but do you learn about the food ahead of time so that you know what you're going to be um, working on so that you can be even more prepared? Do you sit down with the, the production people to know what they're looking for ahead of time? Or does all of that happen on set? No, absolutely. I think a mystical thing that people think is that I just get paid to play with food and I just show up and and do whatever I can do. But what they don't understand is so much pre-production goes in to before you have a shoot. So from start to finish, at first I'm, they reach out to me, the client will reach out to me and ask me, they'll say, are you available? This is what we have. And my website is basically my portfolio. So they already know whether or not they think I can do it. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, are you available? Can you do it? And what are your rates? And so then I send back to them that information. That's the first item. Once we establish that I'm available and they're okay with the rates and the contracts, then we start working. Then they start giving me my first pre-production meeting and they'll tell me, Hey, this is what we have on our dock. These are all the shots that we need. 
and this is what we need to get. Here is the product that you will be using that we will provide. And here's all the stuff that you need to provide. And that's when I sit down and I look at every single recipe. I break every recipe down. I break down each item as to how many I might need for that item. What needs to be pre-baked or pre-made ahead of time? What uh, needs to be shopped for the day before of all the ingredients and the items? How are all those things going to set up um, in a timeline? for that day of the shoot. What kind of props are needed? Because I offer, I have a half, my half my garage is props. And so I offer props as well as styling in case they can't afford a prop stylist on set. Or even if they do have a prop stylist, I always bring backup because it's just always good to have more than less. Right. Anyway, so we have a, a pre-production meeting and we discuss, and that's where after I've done all my homework, and let me tell you, it takes hours to break down. A simple little recipe takes hours to break down. And then any questions I have, I write those questions down. And when we have our final pre-production meeting, I go and ask all these questions. And once I get all those questions answered, I start loading up for my kit. And I have a kit, I have props, I have food. And then the day before, I spend a day of shopping and prepping for the shoot. And then I load the car and everything to go to the shoot. So it's quite a production. So when you're working with a chef, say for either the food at a restaurant or maybe a magazine shot, a magazine shoot of that particular chef's food or something like that, do you also prepare the food or do you have the chef prepare all of it so that it looks like the chef's style? That's a very good question. It depends on the chef. It depends on the company because every job is different. I have done some jobs where the chef brings me all the cooked items and then I prepare the plate for the photographer. That's more common than not. Or I have a chef, if it's a really super fine dining and he has a, cer a certain style, I have worked in the kitchen with him and I will clean and prep and do things. And then he'll show me how he wants it on a plate. And that's usually what we do as a stand-in. And then I make a hero off of that to look just like the way he has it, but to the eye of the camera uh -huh. and keeping the plates clean. So tell me a trick, like a trick of how you make condensation on a glass or do you you know, use fake ice so that it doesn't actually dilute and then change the color of whatever the thing is, or just give me some ideas. Sure. So most, most shots that I do of coffee isn't coffee. It's, I take soy sauce or kitchen bouquet and I create, depending on the camera, because sometimes the camera makes it darker or lighter and it's easier to adjust. So I create my own coffee by adding water to that. And then I have a little bit of Dawn bubbles and I will make some bubbles and then carefully layer them right on top of the cup of coffee so that you can see the little moisture bubbles that come up on a hot steamy cup of coffee. If I need steam to come from that, if the glass is on the set, I can take a, a, like a tampon and soak it in water and stick it in the microwave for a few seconds. And then that'll give me a, a perfect, nice stream of steam behind it. So you have that cup of coffee with that steam. 
if I'm doing an ice cold drink, like I recently did some for some sparkling water company, I make a solution of corn syrup, glycerin and water with a fine mister. And I will take the glass or the can, depending on what it is. And I always want to tape off the top of the rim because natural condensation only comes to the top of where the ice would be. Mm. So I want to make sure, and that's very interesting because when you're doing any kind of beverage styling, it's key to really understand the dynamics of condensation. And I am not going to lie when I have sat there watching glasses of ice for hours, watching how condensation <laughs> works so that I can mimic that with my fake. Yeah. Cause you probably, as a, as a, a viewer, you kind of know it looks wrong, but you might not even know why. <laughs> I think a good food stylist can always tell when fake ice is being used and fake condensation. And so back to when we're doing, so we tape off the rim of the glass and then I spritz with a mister down underneath it. And remember, I can't touch it at this point without using white gloves and moving it because I don't want to move any of that misting the bubbles on the outside. And so I create a brown paper bag, airbrush shield, if you will. And I put the glass in there that's taped on the rim on the top and I mist it and spray it. I take it carefully from using my fingers on the top to the bottom of the glass over to the set and I place it on the set. I then hand place whatever fake ice cubes I'm using in there, whether it be crushed ice or cubes and good ice cubes can talk, can be like a hundred dollars a cube easily for specific glass bubbled ice cubes. And then I place those in there exactly where I want them. And then when I've figured out that's where I want them, then I take the room temperature drink and I have a special funnel pitcher that I use that that allows me to pour directly without putting any splashes to the side. And then I go back after that, once camera lighting is done and everything. And then I go back with a very fine paintbrush and take glycerin drops and add that. And if they're, they need any tiers of ice molecules coming down, if you need crushed ice at the bottom, I have instant crushed ice that I use that you add water to that just dabs it on with a paintbrush. There's a lot of different tricks depending on what the client is looking for, the type of ice. Do you want it pulled? Do you want to suggest that it was pulled right out of a a cooler? Do you want to suggest that you just took it from your freezer? Like there's so many different stories and it's our job as a stylist to be able to capture those stories and those suggestions so that the viewer will be able to get all of that from one image. And if you don't do that, then I can imagine the lights would just melt everything. And so it really, you couldn't really get a good picture. Well, that's not true either. It used to be, that Mm -hmm. used to be the case, but with digital photography, I think you'll see that food stylists don't have to fake as much anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's more on trend to use more organic styling. So like for barbecue and meats and things like that, I will definitely always use some, a little bit of oil and apple cider vinegar for moisture and for juiciness on cold meat. But I always try to get a reduction of the meat and, and paint 
and glisten the meat with its natural juices, if I can. Okay, so let's say that I want to be a food stylist and I'm 18 years old and I wanna know, you know, what to think about, how to get started. Tell me what I should do, how I should try to get into the industry or is it, is it growing, is it shrinking? You know, just let, let me know. And then the other question I have is, how can I improve my own photographs of my own food and style it better? So start with how somebody could get started. So I've had, I've been asked this question a lot when I go into schools, culinary schools. And the first thing I say, learn science, because what I do requires understanding the protein breakdowns, the the molecules of food and how they sit under light or how they sit with cold or how all these different things come together, how certain chemicals react to food proteins. That's really important to know. Second of all, if you're really interested in food styling, which it has become quite a popular item, I recommend that you reach out to food stylists in your area Ask if you can shadow them. I, I let style, I let people shadow me all the time. Sometimes it's a little tricky on closed sets with contracts, but for the most part, they can shadow you. Get the book, the food stylist handbook, read it from page to page and experiment as much as you can in your kitchen with everything. Take it very seriously. It's not just a, oh, I think I'm going to learn how to spray some glycerin on a glass. No, really spend time learning. Like I said, how I sat there and watched the condensation on a glass. That was, I mean, it seems crazy, but that's what I did to learn, start self-teaching myself this. And there are quite a few books out there on food styling alone. There are. So what can I do to make my own food look better in photography that I take for myself, not commercially or as a profession, but just, you know, people want to improve their own, their own photography. Well, the first thing I, I would tell you is think in threes, the Trinity. It's, it's an old school art. It, when we have three things, it's less burden on our eyes. So always try to think of just three things that you're trying to get across when you're trying to take that picture, like three muffins. Don't go with four or six, go with three when you're starting off. When you get better at photography, then you can do these. But when you're just starting off and you just want to make it better and remember that your plate size should be smaller. So if you are trying to take a photo of your dinner and you want to post it on Instagram or wherever, if you have a large dinner plate and you have these small things, your plate becomes the object of your eyes. So make it a smaller plate and make sure everything is placed beautifully onto the plate so that the food really stands out. Be careful about smears. Take those Q-tips and just wipe those smears. So many times I'll see a picture and it's a beautiful plated picture, but there's sauce off the side or dripped off the side. And, and it's that one little thing that can just <laughs> the whole picture. Also, the second, lighting. 
lighting is everything. Do not use your flash on your camera if, if you don't know how to use it. If you have natural light, and I'm not kidding you, it's easy to find natural light in your house. I know people that will go into their bathroom with their plate of food because they have a window that has the <laughs> light in their bathroom and they will take the picture. Nobody knows. Right. right behind me, I have by my window in my kitchen is the best lighting in my kitchen. And almost every one of my Instagram pictures, which isn't a professional picture by any means, but my Instagram photos are all taken right there next to my sink because that's where the lighting is. So it, if you just take your plate or walk around your house, there are places that you didn't think about that are actually beautiful light, natural light. So thank you so much, Christina. I mean, this time has just flown by and I want to thank you for your ideas and your tips and all of that. And I look forward to being really hyper aware now, next time I, I look at pictures of food. Just, yeah, it's really important when you're looking at food, what it suggests to you. Is it, is this, and if it's suggesting the picnic, if it's suggesting a family get together, if it's suggesting fine dining, then that stylist and that photographer has done their job well. Thanks. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue. We come to you from the Camellia Bean Studio at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, part of the Nitty Grits Network. For more information on today's podcast, join the Tip of the Tongue podcast group on Facebook. Please come by when you're in New Orleans and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like it, let us know in the comments. This is Liz Williams.